Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Good Roads Podcast, episode 17, and it's a good one. But before we dive into that, Mr. Thomas Barakat, how are things in the world of public policy? Uh, things are well, Jared. It's uh, it's budget season in Ontario, so uh, Good Roads uh, has submitted uh, some pre-budget consultations uh, to the Ministry of Finance, and we hope to see our priorities reflected in the budget. Exciting budgets are always exciting, and uh, getting Ontario municipalities and their interests out there is uh, fantastic as well. So looking forward to uh, seeing that. That's on our website, right? It's on our website, Jared. All right. I'll put a link in the show notes. People definitely want to check that out. Sure. Anyway. 2022. It's an exciting year for all of our members because it's not only a provincial election year, but a municipal one as well. And as we saw in the federal election, there are two topics that like to sit forefront in people's minds, which are renewable energy and Indigenous relations. Now, both can be discussed separately, but also go very well hand in hand. And luckily for us today, we have the perfect guest to help shed some light on questions and concerns surrounding these two important topics. And uh, Thomas, I'm sure you're going to get along swimmingly, uh, seeing as how you are both uh, part of the same government relations circles. <laughs> so she is the vice president of government relations and indigenous affairs for the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, who are great supporters of Good Roads and a generous sponsor of the 2022 Good Roads Conference. She is a civil engineer by training who began her career in contaminated site remediation before pursuing graduate studies in the use of remote sensing technologies to enhance water quality protection in rural water distribution systems. She's built a reputation for effectiveness in organizational development, governments, governance, and advocacy through leadership positions acting executive direct, as the acting di- executive director of the Nunavut Association of Municipalities and in senior leadership positions with the Federation of Canadian Municipalities. Needless to say, she's a pretty big deal. And uh, we'll have some excellent insights into some big decisions Ontario municipalities will have to make just a short while into the future. Welcome to the Good Roads Podcast, Shannon Joseph. Thanks so much uh, for having me. It's great to be here. Ah, it's very exciting. And uh, this actually marks the first time we've had a representative for an organization on the podcast for a second time. But the last time a CAP representative was with us, we took a high-level look at how much the petroleum industry actually affects our lives in Ontario. Um, For me, the realization of how much information I actually picked up working for companies through high school and college uh, that many wouldn't actually think are involved in petroleum work. And I don't really want to speak for Thomas, but we talked after that episode about how many products and services that we take for granted in everyday life and uh, are sustained at least a little bit by the petroleum industry. Isn't that right, Thomas? Oh, that's right, Jared. Yeah, 100%. Right. So it was definitely a learning experience for both of us. And both of us, um, yeah, and we're, we're looking forward to learning a lot more today. So all of that being said, it looks like 2022 has the potential for great change with uh, the pandemic hopefully appearing to wind down. Um, so through all of this, uh, what will CAP be prioritizing overall? And I guess specifically in Ontario? Well, I think that, uh, you know, looking ahead, we're coming out of the pandemic, and that was a, a really big uh, situation for our companies as it was for, for everyone else. Um, global demand collapsed, but uh, collapsed to 95 million barrels a day. So people still <laughs> used a lot of oil in the pandemic. Right. Now it's back to 100 million barrels a day, and jet fuel isn't even back online yet. So there's oh, wow. there's a lot more growth uh, to come in. and And as we see from the news around the world, Um, There's a real um, concern around the price of energy, the availability of energy. There's real tightness on the supply side. Um, We haven't, 
and we, we you know we see rising gas prices uh, here in Ontario. So I think you know for us um, a priority for our companies is continuing to um, one play the role that we've always played in uh, focusing on technology innovation to reduce emissions associated with our industry. But on the other hand, really talking about the importance of the Canadian oil and gas industry to Canada and to the world in meeting global energy demand, but meeting it with uh, responsibly produced oil and gas. Fantastic. And I know um, economic recovery, you were mentioning that that's a big, uh, that's going to be a big part of that. Um, Like you said, with the downturn and everything, um, everything's getting more expensive. Um, uh, Caps looking I guess, through jobs and innovation, like you said, to uh, help spur on this economic recovery? Uh, Yes. And um, jobs and innovation, uh, you know, we have great partnerships with Ontario, uh, I think about roughly 65. Oh, you know what that is? I thought it was my phone, but it's the truckers outside my window. (laughs) Forgive me. I'm in Ottawa. (laughs) Oh, wow. But um, so... 65,000 jobs uh, directly or indirectly are affected in Ontario or generated in Ontario from our industry and about $2.4 billion in uh, supplies and services from Ontario service just the the oil sands. Um, And this is everything from sensing technology to steel production in Sault Ste. Marie. So we have lots of really strong and important connections in Ontario. And I think part of what we want to do too is make sure Ontarians know about this connection um, how important Ontario innovation and technology and companies and communities are um, in this industry. And it's really a Canadian story. Uh, we're innovating in the upstream, but all of our partners in Ontario are also innovating. And um, there's a lot for us to be proud of and working together. Well, that's fantastic. And I mean, um, like I mentioned on the last episode, it, it sort of keyed in a lot of how much um the oil sands and I guess uh, petroleum producers really do affect Ontario. And I could think of two examples from college, just jobs I did uh, in between. Um, one of them working for ExxonMobil Chemical Films, making plastics and chip bags. And I mean, it never really clicked with me that, hey, the petroleum industry is involved in this. But I mean, the, the uh, what are they called? Polyresin pellets that they they build everything with. Yeah, that's that's all the petroleum industry. And then even little things like if you look off, um, I, I guess to the side of that, I, I worked for a forging company, and the the way we heated up the metals was all natural gas as well. That was at a Whitby in Berks Falls, and little things like that. Um, I, I'm guessing more innovation in terms of that, and uh, and distribution is is sort of what you're talking. Those are little things, but I mean, yeah, you mentioned the steel industry as well, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, go ahead, sir. So, uh, yeah, the steel industry, I mean, uh, you know, this is on kind of what makes it possible for us to produce our energy. So, you know, Tenaris uh, produces steel pipes that we use in our production, not just the oil sands, but also on the conventional side. Uh, Validaria Technologies in in Toronto supplies artificial intelligence technologies to help us improve our energy efficiency in production, really optimizing things. Um, But, you know, that's on the supply side, like, in terms of what the energy does, um, I think natural gas provides about uh, more than 50% of the heating in Ontario, um, and it provides a lot of the electricity in Ontario, and it was a big part of Ontario's own um, success story on the climate issue because they were able to move away from coal-fired generation because they could switch to gas-fired generation and preserve affordability 
reliability, but also cut those emissions by 50%. And there's, there's, there's some that kind of want to see natural gas uh, phased out now. Um, there seems to be a push in some municipalities to kind of do that. Um, there was an, like a report that came out, I think it was from the IESO at one point. Um, what's, what are your thoughts on, on that kind of discussion or that kind of debate? Um, what, what, are, what are your members saying? You know, I think uh, the main concern I have with that debate is that it's focusing on a certain technology or a certain energy source and not on emissions. And climate change as an issue uh, is about emissions. And, you know, municipalities have been active on that issue for a while. But um, climate change goes alongside all the other things that communities care about, which includes having affordable energy, having reliable energy. And uh, the IESO was pretty clear in its report that if, if we tried to pursue a, a phase out by 2030, we'd see blackouts in Ontario. Um, we'd see significant cost increases, uh, I think up to 60% increase in, in household bills um, from uh, trying to phase out gas-fired production. Uh, the Ontario Energy Association, uh, I think, estimated the cost at $60 billion. IESO, I think, was more in the neighborhood of $30 billion. Um, so, but the question is, we shouldn't be talking about phasing out a type of energy source. We should be talking about what are we doing about emissions? And um, there are lots of different kinds of solutions. Our, our companies are looking at technologies like carbon capture and sequestration. And I know a lot of the distribution companies in Ontario are looking at this as well. And so we need to look at all the features um, of power and infrastructure and how they meet all the needs um, before we kind of go down what looks like an easy solution, but actually has a lot of unintended side effects. Yeah, we talked a lot about this in the last episode with uh, Jarrett Coles as well. Um, and I mean, I have a few personal anecdotes that I brought up in that episode, uh, specifically about, I mean, uh, people talk about electrification um, and stepping away from natural gas. But I mean, I, I'm completely opposed to that, having lived that experience myself. When I was younger, my parents, um, their uh, our house in Belleville was electric heating, electric forced air. And... <clears throat> <laughs> the power went out one winter and hey guess who's gonna freeze All right. um the other thing too is the the first year we were there our heating bill for i think two months was eight hundred dollars wow for electricity and then we got natural gas and it goes down to 40 wow so i mean yeah yeah it, it's it's great but you, you you've got to weigh the the cost benefits there um how many people, like especially in the economic situation we're in, are going to be able to afford seven, eight hundred dollars a month just to heat their house in in the climate we're in in Ontario? Yeah, I think uh, it'll be a big impact, and I think decision makers need to be sensitive to that. I mean, Ontario right. had an experience uh, with its electricity prices going up significantly, especially in rural Ontario. And right. uh, people were upset about that. And, well, and and rightly so, because these are the underpinnings of, of our quality of life. And if I'm and, not mistaken, CAP is taking big steps to uh, providing natural gas to rural Ontario. Am I right? Uh, well, we, we are, we're not providing, but well, not, not our, our gas cap, is the member. gas in yeah. the pipes uh, that goes, uh, that go, that's going to go to, to rural Ontario. Ontario has a natural gas expansion program and, um, you know, Enbridge gas distribution is, I think, the big player in that space. And they're trying to connect um, 
43 uh, more rural northern and indigenous communities. Uh, and this is and this is great. And the natural gas they're getting from the upstream um, is gas that has seen you know, emissions intensity decreased by 33%, even as our production has gone up by 32%. Right. And we're continuing to pull those two things apart. That's the role we need to play in the upstream. And then there's lots of things that can happen in the whole system that brings that gas to Ontario and then to the homes. And people are working on those technologies now. Right. And we we had um, a representative from Enbridge on the podcast uh, a few episodes ago, and he was talking about renewable natural gas as well, which um, is fantastic for the environment. It takes um, all those methane emissions and puts them to work. Uh, I get like burning methane obviously reduces their uh, their impact because methane. I think he, I believe he said it was like eighty percent worse for the environment than carbon. So putting that into the stream and and burning that off to help provide, um, I, I guess, cheap sustainable fuel or, or heating for northern municipalities and and uh and people i mean it just seems like a win-win in my opinion yeah all of these things are great all energy sources are important capturing efficiencies is great you know when i was when i have you you read my bio and i had my municipal hat on a big uh thing that (laughs) communities were working on was capturing methane emissions which is just natural gas Yep. that was leaking out of their landfills, right. sometimes in significant quantities because of the organic materials in there. And they had been working on how do we optimize that? So lots of communities have developed, you know, separation for their organics so they can really optimize the methane generation to then, you know, contribute to these systems. Uh, so that's great. Uh, I think we need to just uh, be focused on, again, as I said, emissions and yeah. and all the different solutions that we have available to us, create redundancy, create options, and make sure that people have the energy they need. Yeah. So all of these, they're, they're fantastic things. Um, is there anything else the general population of Ontario specifically should know about CAP? Um, what, what some of your members are doing, what CAP specifically is, is doing for, I guess, the province or, or reduction in emissions? Well, you know, I think uh, people in Ontario should know, uh, you know, what I mentioned already, which is what a big role Ontario plays in our in our production. I think they need to know what a big energy role yeah. our, our, our energy plays uh, in Ontario manufacturing. Uh, a lot of facilities in Ontario, uh, especially kind of heavy manufacturing, rely on natural gas in their production. And there's not a quick substitution for that. No. And... Uh, <laughs> Well, having and, worked at a forging factory, I can attest to that. Uh, natural gas heats up metal a lot faster than electric induction, and it costs a lot less. That's right. <laughs> and so, um, all you know, these are our positive synergies. Um, I think, you know, line five, which is often in the news, uh, and is that important pipeline from southern Ontario into the United States, but also kind of is the gateway back into Canada, uh, provides 100% of, of Pearson Airport's jet fuel, uh, provides wow. 45% of the petroleum products that are used in the province. And, and that is supplied from Western Canadian production back into both Ontario and Quebec. And so, you know, there's, I think Ontarians need to know there, there are, there is a virtuous circle of, of, of innovation from Ontario manufacturing into the energy sector and back. Um, and then there's 
lots of infrastructure that crosses the border that people don't really think about because it's invisible. Yeah. Um, but it's very important for people's lives and people's jobs. And, and, uh, and it's part of, part of what we need today and part of what we need to continue to evolve to um, have a high quality of life, but also to continue to innovate on the environment and any other priority we have. That's pretty incredible. I mean, and yeah, like you said, these are little things people don't think about. Um, like you hear on the news all the time, oh, phase out natural gas, like we can switch to electric heating. Well, it, and I mean, that's just natural gas as natural gas, but or as like one source of fuel. But natural gas has a huge, like a whole host of, of applications that you don't even think about. And then we can even get into the municipal aspect when you when you look at road building and, and bitumen and uh, and the oil that goes into that. Like it, yeah. pe- everybody's roads, everybody's roads need need this um, oil and like the oil and gas industry to function. I mean, without that, we're not building new roads. We're not repairing old roads. That that's right. And um, you know, it's interesting. People really connect oil and gas to transportation. Um, usually to what drives the car, but yeah. you're absolutely right. The thing the car is driving on is also made of a petroleum product exactly. uh, and that keeps it affordable and gives it the performance we need in Canada with our winters, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but you know, some of the conversations we have now are with um, folks in agriculture who use natural gas in their greenhouses uh, in Ontario. Um, there are grain growers who use natural gas to dry grain, um, people don't really know this, but one of the reasons we can feed 7 billion people on the planet is because natural gas is an input for fertilizer production that helps feed the world. Right. Um, so all of these things uh, are connected to the production and reliability of having natural gas and, and oil, et cetera, available. Um, and it provides not just, you know, plastic bottles, but many, many things that people rely on, including most of our international food supply. <laughs> Right, exactly. Wow. And um, um, okay, uh, so Shannon, let me let me uh, take the conversation. I guess uh, maybe in a little bit of a different direction. Um, we talked briefly before earlier in this conversation about um, natural gas and the phasing out of natural gas. Um, I think a lot of Canadians and Ontarians uh, look to a greener kind of future, renewable energies. Um, they want to see us move away from, uh, you know. You know more pol- uh, energy sources that are you know that are more that have more pollution that have carbon emissions that sort of thing. So for me and and people I guess that I've talked to all the time and even in the municipal sector it's like what how do we move how do we shift away but I guess what I'm going to ask you is what kind of role does you know natural gas or any of the kind of products that your members uh, produce what kind of role do they play in this kind of greener cleaner future that so many are hoping to see. Right. Well, I guess the first thing to know is that um, the starting point where we are today globally is that 80% of primary energy is provided by some form of fossil fuel, where about 50% of that is oil and natural gas. A big focus for the world has been reducing coal consumption. And so there's been a real ramping up in demand for gas because of its its kind of features from a climate perspective. Um, and there's been a big ramping up of renewables. But renewables also depend on oil and natural gas because 
That's what drives the machines that mine the lithium um, and will transport it to the battery factory. And um, that's a, a major part of the components in a wind turbine or, or, or solar. Like all of these things are connected. And there is no such thing as zero impact energy that powers everybody's internet 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so I think we need to focus on how do we get really efficient on all of the things um, that we are producing? How do we evolve into other types of technologies to diversify the sources of energy, to change the profile of environmental impact? Because every type of technology has some kind of environmental impact. Um, and how do we do that in a way that helps people improve their standard of living? Because, you know, when we've had these conversations um, you know, whether it's it was the April 22nd announcements uh, around Earth Day and kind of climate summits leading up to COP26. Um, there were many countries in the world who are like, we still have people who don't have electricity. We uh, I was in touch with the African Energy Chamber uh, and they actually joined CAP and a number of other international associations on a kind of a statement about how we want to play a role in COP26 and global climate. And they said, and in their quote, they said, we have 800 million people on the continent of Africa without access to reliable energy or electricity. And we do not want to be blocked in our ability to access natural gas specifically as we try to lift people out of poverty. And I think it's well known that the higher standard of living people have, the more conscious they are of the environment, the more resources they have to devote to environmental protection. And I think that's part of the good news story of the world that we've gotten out of survival mode into really conscious mode and constant improvement mode through the abundance of affordable energy. And I think if we we kind of put that in danger, I think we're going to see people turning their attention very quickly to that $800 energy bill. <laughs> if that's what it comes to. Um, yeah. and, uh, and really lose the ability to, to kind of pursue policies that improve the environment because they're having these secondary effects that aren't being spoken about. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, like, like I always say, it's kind of hard to um, care about the environment when you're trying to survive. When, like you said, the $800 energy bill is, is making you choose between feeding your kids or heating your house or driving to work. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I agree with that. And I also agree with the with the fact that renewables will play a large part in the future, especially electrification. Um, and that's like I wanted to ask about about electrification, what um, what cap stance is on that. Uh, like, for example, nuclear energy um, uh, that that that's that's also got a, an interesting um not backstory, but stigma attached to it. But it seems to be our way forward in terms of renewables. It seems to be one of our best options right now. What, what, uh, I guess, where, where would um, natural gas or uh, fossil fuels play a, a role with, uh, with nuclear energy? Uh, so, you know, I think there's been a lot of discussion around um, the uses of nuclear energy and small modular nuclear technologies in yeah. uh, oil and gas production. So maybe using that to power certain types of operations in Western Canada. Um, I know when I worked uh, in the North, uh, there was a lot of interest in having nuclear and small modular nuclear as an energy solution in, in communities where they rely uh, on diesel. 
um, to have an alternative source that can be as reliable. So, you know, I think nuclear power has a great role and um, all, all sources of energy have a role. I think, you know, Cap's main message in this, in this is that um, climate change is about emissions um, and energy, uh, all energy sources uh, can do something about emissions um, while continuing to meet people's need for energy, which is significant and growing. And uh, Thomas, you know, to the question you asked earlier, like, what role can we play as we, uh, you know, move forward in this in this world that's looking to reduce emissions significantly? Um, uh, many of our companies have spent the last 10 years uh, focused on technologies that reduce emissions in our production, but that can be used in other sectors of the economy to help them. Uh, and and that's a good thing. Uh, many of, you know, even just uh, on the issue of methane, there's a whole ecosystem of technologies uh, from satellite monitoring of methane leakage and, and things like that that have evolved in Canada because of the proactive nature of both policy and companies that we're now exporting those technologies to the United States and helping them deal with some of their emissions issues. So I think you know, the people who are doing things now are also the ones creating the technologies that are going to provide future solutions. And and we can't predict where those technologies will come from. And I think as long as we um, have a playing field that's focused on emissions and allows many solutions to evolve, we're going to be surprised and see the, the step change things we need to see. And the last point I want to make, because um, it's something we don't always keep sight of, is that um, Canada's focus on, on emissions has been domestic and provinces have been focused on, you know, what emissions are produced in Ontario? And, and that is an important question and, and it is great we're all working on this together. But the climate change impacts and questions around, you know, whether it's changes in weather or whatever it is, uh, flooding, et cetera, that people have concerns about, that is driven by global climate change. That's driven by emissions in China, India, and everywhere else on the planet. And Canada is uniquely placed to play a role in reducing global emissions growth by exporting our lower emission energy, whether that's lower emission oil and because, you know, many of our producers are, and you think of the oil sands pathways companies have committed to reducing to net zero. So whether it's the oil that those company countries end up using or natural gas to displace, you know, China's still building two coal fire power plants uh, a week uh, and that's because they need energy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they're going to build that energy. Yes, they're building solar and all that, but they're still building that other stuff. And if it was Canadian LNG being burned in there instead of coal, that would make a big, big difference to global emissions growth. Bigger, a, a bigger difference than a lot of what we we're talking about here in Canada, because we are only one point six percent of global emissions. Right, and. And that would make a big difference to the adaptation needs we need to have in Canada. And so we need to look at all the solutions that Canada is positioned to deploy, both domestically, but also internationally to meet our own domestic needs around adaptation as well. So long and short of it, it's uh, it's not an all or nothing situation as a lot of people are making it out to be. It's sort of a conglomeration, uh, collaboration between all of the energy industries um, and with the developments from CAP and your uh, your members, they're helping, I guess, to, uh, to reduce these emissions in their industry and, like you said, globally to 
um, how do I put this? Globally, I guess, to, to bring up uh, developing nations and um, reduce emissions ethically. If, That's if right. I, if I put that so succinctly. <laughs> to, to bring up that quality of life around the world through energy, but also to reduce the emissions growth that would have happened otherwise if they didn't have access to our energy. And I think that's a unique role Canada can play. You know, we talk about uh, Ontario exports uh, electricity to the United States. On, uh, um, so does Quebec. So right. it's not just oil and gas that we can export globally yeah. to make a difference on emissions. But Canada is an energy leader, superpower, whatever you want to call it. And there are things that we can do to make a, a really outsized difference, right. even as a, a maybe a smaller country. <laughs> Well, exporting so, electricity across an ocean is a lot easier said than done. Right. That's why we export. That's why exporting <laughs> LNG is kind of that that more stable form for that electricity production that's right, happening over there. Right. Electricity so, is made from something, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. electrification is one thing, but like, how are you going to make your electricity? So, uh, Shannon, let me ask. Let me uh, kind of shift gears a little bit here. So we represent, you know, the municipal sector in Ontario. Uh, municipal transportation infrastructure, that sort of thing. What what would you tell Ontario's municipal leaders? Uh, what what can they do to kind of be partners in everything that you just mentioned, essentially? Well, one thing I think that would be important is um, to just be open to dialogue. I think, you know, we've seen the proliferation of a lot of these uh, resolutions to ban gas. Um, and I think... You know, there hasn't always been an opportunity for dialogue in that space. And um, maybe all the facts aren't available to what's happening in the so supply of that gas um, and then the producers of that gas in Ontario. And I think it's important for them to know, because as I mentioned, we've really decoupled the production of gas to the emissions associated with that production. And we're continuing to drive it down and, and looking at more and more technologies to do that. And that's something that's important for communities on Ontario to know, because then they can still have that low cost, high energy density solution, um, but feel more confident about what's happening on the emission side. And um, and so, yeah, what I'd say to municipalities is um, let's let's talk <laughs> and let's find ways to engage about what's going on in terms of innovation uh, on our side. And let's go engage on what they're hoping to do in terms of their community goals around um, climate and other types of development, uh, industrial development, a lot of, you know, climate's on the agenda, but so is jobs and so is everything else. So right, how do we right. bring all these goals together? And I think the more we can talk to each other as sharing the goal of, of emissions reduction and sharing the goal of increasing prosperity in Canada and increasing opportunities in, in Canadian communities, the better. Um, we've seen a lot of exciting things happen when communities have access, not just to affordable energy, but also to kind of development opportunities. Um, there are great stories in Western Canada about Indigenous participation, uh, both as workers, but also as business owners and investors in major projects in Western Canada. Um, those same things can happen in Ontario yeah. uh, with, you know, the, the critical mineral strategy that I know the province has. And But all of this requires an environment that's, that's, that's really focused on attracting investment, working together, focused on innovation, and uh, having everyone at the table. 
Yeah, and and, and okay, and and Jared earlier in the episode in his introductory remarks mentioned, uh, you know, energy, renewable energy, and uh, indigenous relations and their kind of role within the sector. Um, can you tell us more about what CAB does to work with indigenous communities? Um, you know, across Canada, but if there's any Ontario examples, we would we would love to to hear that. We do have um, Goodrose does have some indigenous uh, members as well, and uh, we are you know we we want to hear those stories um, uh, as well. So yeah. So I think you know on the on the indigenous question, our focus is definitely more in Western Canada. Okay. Uh, our companies uh, engage early and, and continually in the communities where or, or near their production, uh, trying to create win wins. And there are lots of great stories coming out of that, either you know on the economic front or on the social front and the environment front. Um, Synovus Energy, one of our members, has a great partnership with a number of First Nations and Métis communities in, near their operations to deal with issues around housing, um, which is a critical issue that we see in many Indigenous communities across Canada. Um, it's kind of working together to let's just fix this. And uh, and that's and that's great. There's a lots of environmental monitoring partnerships uh, with First Nations, and and all of this is great. I think there's been a huge um, untold story around Indigenous participation economically in our sector. Uh, Fort Mackay First Nation and Fort McMurray First Nations are two of the wealthiest uh, communities in the country. They've been able to do all the things that I think we all want from a reconciliation standpoint, whether it's language preservation, uh, resources for elder um, services, for youth services. Uh, and this is a great story. And of course, um, some of those nations have also become equity owners and more nations are seeking equity ownership in pipelines and other things. And um, the Heisla Nation in, in BC is a major participant in the LNG Canada project. Um, and they could tell you even more about their interest in that international role. And, uh, and now they're kind of an owner in Cedar LNG, which is another kind of export LNG uh, oriented project. So there's a lot of exciting stories out there of indigenous uh, communities, nations working with business partners to pursue the goals uh, that they have as a nation. And I think it's a model uh, and there are lots of lessons there um, that I think can be applied, um, transferable to, to Ontario. And, um, and I think that's a positive thing. I, a lot of the associations that we work with, like the Indian Resource Council, like the National Coalition of Chiefs do kind of engage with uh, communities, uh, the Indigenous Resource Network with nations in this part of the country. Um, so CAP doesn't have a lot of direct uh, relationship, but I think my message to a lot of the listeners that you have from Indigenous communities is um, there are a lot of positive stories um, and stories of partnership and business partnership um, that are that are that are not as talked about in the media, right. and um, and we're very interested in helping to connect people and build bridges so that those stories can be told directly, <laughs> um, not by us but by by the nations, um, because I think the more. Again, you know, to my point earlier, the more people can really engage directly and hear what's going on and, and build solutions together, the more we're going to have something that works for Canada in all of its regional diversity. Terrific. That's, um, that's a lot of good news, especially um, in terms of Indigenous relations. I mean, you, in the news specifically, you don't hear a lot about that. Um, you hear, I guess, more of the hot button issues like the protests and such, um, which... 
I, I good mean, news on... sells. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean yeah, good they... news doesn't sell. Bad yeah, news bad sells. News. So yeah, bad news sells. It's yeah. hard to get the good news on the in the on the front page. Right. Yeah. yeah. So and, um, anyway. No, yeah. but I mean that's that's good to hear, especially for the indigenous communities, and um, it's good to know that the northern communities they have the um, northern and indigenous. Um, they like when people think about uh, Ontario, it's generally about the southern Ontario. Um, but it's good to know that. There's opportunity for the northern communities, indigenous especially, uh, to take part in this and to grow and prosper, as it were. Yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and uh, yeah, as you mentioned, most of these um, uh, examples that you mentioned were from out west, but um, we know that, for example, and and you know, this is not for you know your members, but for, and we know in northern Ontario, there's a lot of um, um, mining potential. There's a lot of resources. It'll be it may, maybe the, those industries can learn something from uh, you know ca- some of what Caps members are doing out west in terms of how to to have build those partnerships and inclusive um, economic development and that sort of thing because um, that is very important going forward. And you mentioned reconciliation and yeah, we need to kind of continue moving um, that way, I guess, of engaging indigenous communities and, and getting consent for certain projects and whatnot. Um, and, and if, if there's a model that works in certain instances from cat members, I think it's, it's great uh, for us to see that in Ontario, even, you know, if it's outside of the oil and gas industry. Um, so it's, it's, it's good. And I'm really, I'm really glad that you, that you brought those up, uh, Shannon, but, um, you know, we've mentioned affordable affordability. We've mentioned the North. Um, we've mentioned what you want to say to municipalities, Shameless plug here. Well, maybe not shameless. This is a good roads podcast. We have a conference coming up in, in April and I'm leading the program development and <laughs> happy to see the cap has decided to participate. Um, so we, there is going to be a, a session at our conference and it's going to be called a stronger future, affordable energy in Ontario's North. And that's going to be presented by, um, by cap, by the Canadian association of petroleum producers. Um, I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot here, Shane. Do you is do you know? Uh, can you speak to this, or is this still? Are you guys trying to kind of uh, keep it a little bit of a mystery before uh, you know leading up to the conference, kind of build some hype around it? No, we definitely want to. I'm really excited you brought this up because we do want to plug <laughs> this panel, <laughs> and I hope many of your listeners will attend your conference and our panel, uh, <laughs> which is happening uh, on April 11th from 11 a.m. to 12:15 so far. And uh, our panelists include the Canadian manufacturers and exporters who represent a lot of the kind of manufacturing uh, sector here in Ontario, but also Enbridge Gas and Tourmaline, which is one of our members in the upstream. And I think it's a great, it's going to be a great conversation around that virtuous circle I was talking about earlier uh, in the conversation around how, how the industry in Ontario connects to the energy space both in terms of a user of energy, but also in terms of a supplier of, of really great uh, products and innovation. Um, we're going to be talking about affordability and reliability uh, for energy in Ontario's northern communities. Um, we're going to be talking about um, you know, how all of these, uh, the, all the work that all of these industries and companies are doing to help Canada in terms of its climate goals and Ontario's climate goals. So I think it'll be a great way to, um, I guess, learn more. And, uh, and depending on how you set it up for, for folks to ask, uh, people directly about some of the things they're doing. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I mean, uh, a lot of the, a lot of what we've talked about already, uh, if there are any more questions people have, uh, especially Northern indigenous communities, but even, even Southern Ontario, I'm sure 
this will be a great place to get your questions answered and uh, to learn a lot more about uh, like LNG and uh, the different um, technologies emerging. Um, uh, you mentioned a, a representative from Enbridge, and we, like I said, we had an Enbridge representative on here to talk about uh, the, the negative, the carbon negative bus. So technologies like that uh, yeah. that, that can help your your uh, municipality. Yep. No, there's all kinds of solutions out there, and we just yep. gotta keep uh, keep keep the conversation going and have opportunities. Keep an open mind to too, change. right? <laughs> keep an open mind. Don't close it off to just one type of uh, of energy. Mm-hmm. I guess that that would be the overarching theme of uh, today's episode: is keep an open mind. Don't uh, don't shut off one form of energy or all forms of energy in favor of one. We've got to work together, work collaboratively, and um, We'll get through this life. Couldn't send it better myself. <laughs> there we go. All right. Um, I guess we're coming up to our time. So uh, I guess my final two questions before we before we end this episode, uh, Shannon, what uh, what is the future of natural gas in Ontario? Uh, well, I think uh, natural gas has an important future. I don't know how far in the future you're talking about, but uh, it has an important future... Uh, providing both heat and electricity, I think, in the province. And I think, you know, IESO has made that clear. And um, I think the good news is that um, as long as, you know, all parts of the system are doing their part, and certainly our upstream producers are, um, Ontario will be able to benefit from all the the great features of natural gas, uh, even as it pursues uh, lots of its other goals around climate. Excellent. All right. Um, and before we wrap it up, is there uh, anything else you want to leave our members with? Uh, we mentioned the conference, the session at the conference to definitely check out. Is there anything else uh, you want to you want to mention to uh, the Good Roads members? Well, uh, if the Good Road members are interested in any more details about what I've been saying on climate for our industry mm-hmm. or on our, our in partnerships with Indigenous peoples, on our website we have two reports um, that are that are ESG reports, so environmental, social, and governance reports, and they provide a lot of detail. And on the climate one, we actually have the methodology for all of the emissions um, information that we provide so that anyone who's particularly nerdy can really dig into (laughs) where did these numbers come from? Do I believe it? Because I think it's important um, for people to see examples. There's examples of technology. And on the Indigenous report, there are communities that, you know, they can look up and engage with directly. Uh, We want to really be transparent in in the things we talk about. And I really want to encourage folks to to check out those reports. Okay. I'll put those in the show notes as well so that uh, people have easy access to them and uh, can take a look at it if... uh... If they're ever discussing natural gas and uh, anything like that, and they want more information, they, we want to come to the table educated and and speaking about what you know. But um, I guess we'll we'll wrap it up there. Uh, thank you, Shannon, so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to uh, to speak with representatives from CAP, and we're looking forward to your session at the conference. Um, the conference, everybody, is April tenth to thirteenth at the Royal York in downtown Toronto. Uh, so same place, different time, but it's going to be warmer as we talked about last time. So, uh, we hope Jared, we hope, we, we hope, yeah. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? It's a crazy world we live in. Um, 
Other than that, Good Roads courses are still ongoing. Some of them are in person. Some of them are uh, virtual. Check that out on our website, ogra.org. Check us out on the socials, uh, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, as usual. Uh, We have a lot of good information, a lot of uh, advertisements for these courses if you're looking for something specific. Um, And uh, if you have any questions, if you want uh, if you want us to pass along any information or any questions to Shannon, send us an email at podcast at goodroads.ca and we'll be sure to pass that on to her. And uh, until next time, everybody, take it easy. Take it easy.